Now, we're going to read from God's word. Uh, This week we're going to read again from Ephesians chapter 6, and we're looking at the armor of God. I'm going to to read verses 10 through 20 to give us uh, the full context. Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it, I may speak boldly, as I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord. Have you ever had a a project that you were working on where you had to use a hammer, and you had to use the hammer for a long time? Maybe you were manually tackling, uh, tacking down shingles on the entire roof, and you you had to use a hammer, a regular old manual hammer. When, When I was a teenager, I spent part of one summer as a carpenter's assistant. And, and the job that I was on, uh, I was following his instructions to help him build a large garage. So we were framing it, we were sheathing it, and all I had was a regular old hammer. And I was just a teenager, and I was scrawny. And for what seemed like hours, I was just hammering nails into two-by-fours. And I remember it just there was just so much hammering that I got tired and I wasn't even that good at it and I was I was so bad at it it seemed like maybe a quarter of the nails that I was trying to drive I I would hit them kind of askew I would bend the nails and so I'd spend a lot of time trying to straighten out this nail that I had gotten in sideways and sometimes when you're you're holding on to this hammer this tool which they're heavy that that's how they work well there's weight you're swinging at the nails but you're at it so long that your muscles start to get tired your grip starts to weaken, it starts to get shaky, but the work's not done. You still have like three or four more hours, and you've got to keep picking up the hammer. You've got to keep gripping it. You've got to keep swinging it. I would get so tired that I just had to stop. I just had to relax my hand because it was exhausted, but then I'd have to pick up the hammer again, take it into my grip, and keep on swinging it. Now, today we are looking at the last three pieces of the armor of God. And the writer, Paul tells us, he tells us, pick up the armor. Pick it up again. Pick it up and put it on. That's the the repeated verb throughout this whole passage. Take it up. Pick it up. Put it on. He's telling us, keep 
taking up the armor of God. Paul is talking about the gospel. Like my carpenter's hammer, in my tired and in my trembling hand, the writer is telling us, grasp the gospel again. Grasp the gospel again. All kinds of things are going to be thrown at you. All kinds of things will be flying your way. Your, your husband may get huffy. Your kids may get sick. You're worried about the coming assignment that you've been handed. But you've got to grasp the gospel again, again and again. Well, how do you do that? How do you do that? We'll look at a few more pieces of this armor as we look at this. So first, grasp the gospel again when doubts and accusations are flying. Grasp the gospel again when doubts and accusations are flying. So here we're talking about the shield of faith. Verse 16, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. So we're talking about the shield of faith. And and you want to remember that Paul is using Roman soldier imagery here. The shield for the Roman soldier was this, this large rectangle, slightly bowed, and it was, it, was, it was designed and sized so that when you held it up, it would, it would be this rectangular covering that would go from about here all the way down to your knees. So it, it gave you very ample coverage. The shield was constructed out of wood, and they would cover the wood with leather. That would give a little bit of an extra layer of resistance. And then the shield would be trimmed with, with some metalwork. And Paul says, take it up. Take up the shield. Now, what is the shield of faith? What are we talking about here? In the Bible, faith, it's saying the shield of faith. Faith has two senses, two senses. Faith has a general sense, and faith has a very specific sense. One specific, uh, the, um, the, the general sense is this. Faith, faith means you're trusting God. You are just, you're trusting God with, with whatever it is. You're trusting that God's going to protect you, You're trusting that God is going to provide what you need. Verses like, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. And and so when you're wondering, okay, what do I do with this, this strained relationship that I'm having with my kids or with someone at work? Or you're wondering, how am I going to pay the bill, this bill that's come in? Well, faith trusts the Lord. Faith takes that problem and says, Lord, I, I'm going to trust you. Faith comes to the Lord and says, Lord, I need help. Lord, I need you to help. I trust in you. I need you to protect me in this, Lord. I trust you, Lord. I need you to provide what I need. And so do you pray that way? That, that would be a way that you exercise faith. Do you pray that way? And, and then as you trust him, does it settle your spooked heart enough so that it settles in and becomes a peaceful heart. So that, that's faith as just general trust in the Lord. But faith also has a specific sense. So we're talking about the shield of faith. And it also can encompass this very specific sense of faith. Faith often speaks in the Bible of what we call saving faith. This, this is a specific faith in the crucifixion and in the resurrection of Jesus, the death and the coming to life again of Christ. It's, it's what we say when we talk about the gospel, it's specific faith in the gospel promises that if you will trust in the excellent life of Jesus, trust that his excellent life 
makes you acceptable to God. Not your achievements, his excellency. It means you trust that the death of Jesus was a substitution for you. That Christ was punished for you and Christ removed the animosity of God. And so it's gone. This very specific sense of faith, this trust in Jesus, this faith in the gospel promises, Paul also is using that. He, he used that earlier in the letter, Ephesians 2. He said, for, for by grace you have been saved through faith. By grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And so what we're seeing here is that this faith used in the specific sense, it's this kind of faith that secures God's approval later on also in Ephesians. Ephesians 3, the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. By exercising this faith in Christ, that gives you access to God, confidence that you are able to stand in the presence of God. And so you can take up the shield of faith in this general sense. You trust God to protect you. You trust God to provide for you. You can take up the shield of faith in a very specific gospel sense as well. But what does that mean? I mean, okay, what, what, how do you do that? Well, here's how. You grasp the gospel again when there are doubts, when there are accusations flying at you. Verse 16, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery projectiles of the evil one. That, that, we looked at this earlier. I'm just going to touch on it. These, these fiery projectiles, these fiery arrows, the word that's used there for projectiles, it's just general. It has anything to do with what in the military they were throwing at the soldiers. It could be arrows that were lit on fire, shot at the soldiers. It could be spears that were wrapped and soaked in combustibles set on fire, launched at the shoulders. It could, soldiers. It could even just be things that were on fire that catapults were hurling at them. You're a soldier. You've got this Roman shield. Your shield is made of wood. What happens when an arrow that's wrapped with oiled rags is shot at you and it embeds in your shield and it's on fire? It could set your shield on fire if enough arrows penetrate and stay there. Well, here's the image. The evil one, the devil... He will hurl things at you. He will throw things at you. All kinds of trouble. And you know what that's like. Sometimes it's worse than at other times. Sometimes life seems to be filled not just with something bad that's happened, but with combinations, collections of bad things all at once. Sometimes it might just be one thing. You, get a, you sustain a medical injury, but then it gets combined. And at the same time, in the same week, your department is losing funding and your position is unsteady. And then on top of that, at the same time, in the same week, in the same month, your, some key relationship, maybe your romance, is in trouble. What we see here is that the devil can be in that. He could be throwing all kinds of things at you. And some of the kinds of things he will throw at you are doubts. Some of the things that he will throw at you are accusations. The devil is an accuser. He's called the accuser of the brethren. One example of how, how this could be playing out. Now, it's, it's, it's very good to have a conscience that's healthy, a conscience that's functioning, so that when, when you cheat or, or if you speak unkindly to someone else, your conscience should bother you. Later on, when you kind of reflect on, what did I just do? your conscience should start to poke at you. 
make you uncomfortable with what you did. But sometimes conscience can go a little haywire. You can, you can fall into this, this condition of what the Bible calls you, our hearts accuse us. It's, just, it's, it's, it's not appropriate. It, the conscience is becoming overactive. We start to sense guilt, our own guilt, to an inappropriate degree. I remember knowing one, one dear woman who, who was very tender in heart, tender in conscience, and she, she years, years, years ago, had um, struggled with just driving her car through town because... If as she was driving down the streets of the city, if she saw litter, someone else had thrown trash, and it was on the road, I was on the sidewalk, if she did not stop to pick it up, she felt, her conscience would tell her, you have failed to do good to all people. You should stop and pick up the litter. And so her hyperconscience troubled her. She felt that she had to make a U-turn, park the car, get out, pick up the trash. It, 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 was, it, was, it was an attack. It, it was conscience operating at an inappropriate level. The devil will accuse you. He will make what is actually weakness in you, he will take weakness in you and make you think it's sin. Like, you're sick? You're, you're physically unwell? Oh, no, you just have a lazy attitude. That's really what's going on. Or you've got chronic exhaustion. You're just wiped out. Something is wrong. It's been going on a long time. You're exhausted. But the devil will come and give this kind of accusation. Maybe you're just a discontent person. Maybe this is just all about your attitude. Maybe you're just a complaining person. Or it could be this kind of thing. People are coming at you and accusing you. And we need that. We need that. There, there are plenty of things that need to be pointed out. But people are accusing you, they're charging you with motives that just aren't true. You know, maybe on any other day, what they accuse you of might be true. But for this accusation that's coming, that's, that's landing and, and lodging, they're saying things that you know they're not true. They're charging you with some misdeed, but you know your hands are clean. Well, the devil sows accusations. The devil also will sow doubts, accusations and doubts. And so maybe this can happen. You could be in the situation where, yeah, you did something wrong. It was wrong. You know it was wrong. And you're thinking this way. You're thinking, I sinned. What I did was wrong. It was over the line. I shouldn't have done it. I sinned. I sinned badly. But now, now that I've done it, and it was so bad, God must despise me. He will not take me back. You've got these doubts. Will God take me back? Or he will take me back, but I'm going to have to basically live in this shed for years. He sows doubts about God's forgiveness. He sows doubts about God's grace. He sows doubts about God's goodness. You might be looking at your situation and you're filled with doubts. You might be thinking, why am I not married yet? Why am I not married? God is holding good back from me. Or you might be thinking, why am I in such a hard marriage? Why is God withholding good from me? You've got all of this coming at you. Maybe it's all coming at you all at the same time. You've got to grasp the gospel again when these doubts and these accusations are flying. And so, so today, maybe, maybe this is where you're at. You're sitting, you're sitting in a pond that is just full of trouble water. That's where you are. But you cry to God in it. 
You cry to God because the gospel makes you a child of God. Psalm 61, from the end of the earth, I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And so maybe you there sitting in your pond, you're lonely, you're in pain, you feel incredibly unloved, grasp the gospel again when you've got these doubts. Pray, pray this way. Jesus, convince me that you live with me and that you love me. That, that's taking up the shield of faith. Ephesians 3, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Faith, the shield of faith, picking it up, grasping the gospel, it means you come to him, you're in faith, and you're asking, show me that I'm actually loved by you. Show me that you're actually dwelling in my heart. The devil is going to constantly be just yanking out the drawer of silverware in the kitchen of your, your life, and he's just dumping the silver out over and over. That, that's how he does it. But the shield of faith can deal with that. The shield of faith can extinguish every flaming thing that he throws at you. Now, this is one thing you want to know about the Roman shields. They would, they would soak their shields in water before they went into battle. And because it was wood coated with leather, you would have leather absorbing the water. And if a fiery arrow, if a fiery spear stuck into your shield and it was burning, the shield, which was wet, could extinguish the flames. That's, that's kind of what's in view here when he says your shield can extinguish every flaming projectile. And so it's saying that the gospel shield can put out anything that is shot at you. You've got to grasp the gospel, though. You've got to grasp the gospel again and again. You've got to take your trouble. You've got to take your heartbreak. And you've got to do the work to make some kind of connection between your trouble and the gospel. You've got to find some way to connect it in your trial. You may need help doing that. Ask someone to help you. How do I make the connection between the gospel of Christ and this trouble? Now, I'll tell you about this, this shield that can extinguish every flaming arrow. I've got six sons. I have six sons. And sons, as you know, tend to have this kind of little boy energy when they're little. And maybe you know what it's like when a little boy needs to get his energy out. Like nothing else, this reading is not going to happen. Learning is not going to happen. Conversation is not going to be possible. Boys especially can have this energy that needs an outlet. And so maybe, maybe it can be exhausted by having them run laps. Maybe it can be exhausted by having them go, go play soccer for a while. We had this one idea. We had this one idea for how to help them burn through some of their little boy energy. We bought a, a maybe you can call it a striking pad. Uh, it's this big rectangular padded shield. It's like foam this thick and it has these straps that you hold and I think the one that we had was called a, a, a strike shield. And we would, we would put these little sparring gloves on our sons and we would just let them go crazy punching, kicking, headbutting this, this strike shield and so I would get behind the strike shield and I would hold it up, I would peek out over the top and this is what you would see if you were in my shoes you would see this tornado of violence driving right at you in this super energized kid with sparring gloves flailing at you now did you know that flailing at a foam pad 
can put a little kid into an aerobic state within 30 seconds. It's scary, it's terrifying, it's a force of nature, but to this day, I feel very safe behind the strike shield. I've never been accidentally kicked, I've never been punched, my glasses have been fine, but I keep that shield up. I make sure that shield is up, and it can handle everything that's thrown at me. The gospel is that way. The gospel can repel every doubt. The gospel can repel every accusation. And so you've got to grasp the gospel again when doubts and accusations are flying. Now secondly, secondly, you've got to grasp the gospel again when you despair, when you're scared. Grasp the gospel again when you face despair and fear. And we're talking about the helmet of salvation now. Verse 17, take up the helmet of salvation. You've got this shield that covers you from your face down to your knees. It, it covers you from here all the way down to your feet. And so if you've got the shield up and your eyes are looking over the edge of that shield, well, what's unprotected? Well, the rest of your head, the top half of your head needs to be protected. If something's coming towards your eyes, you can just lift the shield, but you need something to cover from your forehead up. Well, what's the helmet? That's the helmet. The helmet here is salvation. A definition of salvation. Salvation is rescue when you're in danger. Salvation is rescue when you are in danger. Now, one of, one of my, my um, constant places that would put me in a place of peril, this, it was like a nightmare, but sometimes it would be a daytime um, nightmare, it was just imagining, uh, I have a lot of kids, imagining being in our big, at the time it was a 15-passenger van. And um, if you don't know, I have, I have 11 children. I would imagine being in this van with all my kids, especially little kids, buckled in their car seats. And you know, we might have had like two, maybe sometimes we would have three car seats at a time. And imagining what would I do if our van, with all of us buckled in, what would I do if it went over the edge, into the water, off a bridge, and the vehicle started to sink? And, and what if it was night? How, how, do you, how would I get unbuckled? Get out of my seat. Get to the back rows. And, and how would I get everyone unbuckled and how would I be able to get them all in my arms and somehow get a door open get a window open how would I get them out and and what would I do with the kids who could not swim how would we how would we get to the surface and I would kind of daydream about it I I, I would have dreams about it I'd get lost in my thoughts about this this contrived rescue disaster puzzle and especially the dreams of night if it happened in a dream, I would be just flooded with panic, with terror. How could I save my kids? Well, the gospel concerns salvation, and it's salvation in every crisis that you face, both, both the ultimate crisis that everyone faces. Who is going to save me from the wrath of God, the flood of his wrath? It's the, it's, 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 it's the salvation that the gospel concerns the salvation that we need not just for the ultimate crisis, but also for the daily crisis. Who's going to help me in my depression? Who's going to help me in my failing marriage? Who's going to help me with my financial trouble? The gospel brings news of salvation. Acts 4, 12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name in heaven, under heaven, given among men by which we must be saved. So it brings news of ultimate salvation. But the gospel is also good news for today's 
trouble, today's crisis. Psalm 34, this poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. I cried to the Lord and he saved me and saved me from all of my fears. And so you must go to God for salvation. You must go to him for salvation. Stop trying to solve your problems on your own. Stop thinking that you could get yourself to be good enough for God. Stop struggling with your own smarts, with your own strength. Do you you have your own addiction? Do you have an addiction? Do Do you have a repeat problem with your tongue or with your temper? And maybe, maybe whether it's an addiction or whether it's your temper or your tongue, maybe it's brought all kinds of terrible consequences on your head. You can't get out of this on your own. You can't get out of this on your own. The cracks are starting to show and things in your life are falling apart and you're scared about it and maybe it's keeping you up at night and you're terrified about what's coming next. And people try to give you advice. Maybe people try to give you wise advice but you're afraid and you're, you're in despair, and you're convinced that nothing is going to work, and you're so sure about this. Salvation is of the Lord. I'm here to tell you that salvation is of the Lord, and in the Lord only. There is a God in Zion, and he will hear you if you will call out to him. He will hear you if you will humble yourself before him. He will hear you if you say to him, I surrender. I'm done fighting. I believe. I will obey your call. And so grasp the gospel again. When you despair, when you're afraid, get right with God. Get right with God through grace, the gospel of grace, because your rescue, your rescue will only come by God giving you undeserved goodness. By grace you are saved, and that not of yourselves. Now I wonder... Have you ever come to that place? I'm talking to you if you're a kid. I'm talking to you if you are already retired. Have you come to that place ever where where you can look at what you have made of your life and it's not pretty? You've been wrong. You've been wrong. You've been so wrong. People tried to show you, but you wouldn't hear them. But now something is starting to dawn on you and you're staring at the mess that you've made and you understand you're not right with God. You're not right with him. If you're not a Christian, God is confronting you today. Can, can you take that accusation? Can you start to take the accusation and start to agree with it? Can you start to accuse yourself? Can you admit that you've been in control but you've been wrong? You've been utterly wrong but now you're willing maybe for the first time, maybe for the tenth time, to admit and to turn to him and to say, God, I've resisted you. I'm done with it. I've rejected you. I'm done with that. Today, I surrender. And everything you've heard about Jesus, today, somehow, it's starting to make sense. Well, how? How can you be rescued by Jesus? How can you have this salvation from him? Well, you would say something like this to him. You would say, Jesus, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. And I need you to make me right. I need you to make things right. Jesus, you, 
Jesus, would you be punished in my place for all my bad? And Jesus, would you be the good that I need in order to stand before God? I will follow you. You you would say something like that to him. You would repent and you'd believe and you will be saved. Now, how about if you're hearing this and, and you are a Christian? You are a Christian. And today, you're also convinced that you need Jesus just as much. You need him to pull you out of the deep waters. You need him to pull you out of deep trouble. You need to grasp the gospel again, believer. You need to. We need to do this. Grasp the gospel when you're afraid. Grasp the gospel when you are in despair. Well, how do you do that? Well, here's, here's, here's a way to think about it. Here's a way you could word it. You need to personalize your hope. You need to personalize your hope. So, so maybe you're down. Maybe you are overwhelmed today. Maybe everything is just pulling you down, sucking you to the bottom, down to the bottom of the waters. You've got to bring the gospel to bear when you are afraid, when you are in despair. You've got to personalize your hope, personalize the counter-narrative of your situation. Do, do not say, don't just be, somehow it's all going to get better. Like that's a, that's a non, that, that, that doesn't float. Don't say, somehow it's just going to get better. Don't, don't go into fatalism. Don't say, it is what it is. You, you've, got to, you've got to personalize the help. You've got to talk to the Lord. Peter, he was sinking under the stormy waters and he, he personalized his hope. He cried to Jesus, save me, Lord. I'm sinking. Save me, Jesus. I don't know what you're worrying about. Maybe you're worried about your immigration status, your visa status. Ask the Lord to personally step in. Are you hopeless about your, your wandering son, your wandering daughter? Ask the Lord. Personalize the hope that you need. Ask the Lord to work in that person's heart. In the gospel, Jesus is the one who personally went after sheep that were wandering, that were lost, that were straying. That's how Jesus is. That's how you would grasp the gospel. Maybe that's you who's wandering and lost. Personalize your hope this way. You would say to him, Jesus, I am lost. I am lost. How did I get here? Will you come find me? Jesus, I'm outside. I'm stuck outside of the flock. Would you open the door to the fold and let me back in? Or you would personalize your hope this way. Jesus, I'm scared. I'm surrounded. Would you rescue me? If you're a Christian, this is what you know. If you're a Christian, you know this. Jesus saved you from the divine wrath that's to come. And that means you know he can save you from today's wreck. And if he will come walking across the water at night to grown men who are struggling in a boat, he's going to come to you in your apartment. He can get there. He's going to come to you in your work cubicle when you're just wondering, what am I going to do? He's going to come to you when you're having a quarrel in the kitchen or on the phone. He will come to you to save. Because he saved you, then he is still your savior today. So grasp the gospel again when doubts and accusations are flying at you. Grasp the gospel again when you're afraid and when you're in despair. Now finally, grasp the gospel again when you are weary. Grasp the gospel again when you are worn out. The truth is, and and the reason why this 
passage is written the way it is, we fail to take up the armor. We get tired. Our spiritual muscles get exhausted. We get shaky. We get worn down, worn out. We get turned around and scrambled. Grasp the gospel again when you're weary, when you become weak. The text begins by exhorting, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the power of his strength. Life churns. Life is all like a spin cycle. Battles are breaking out. You need strength, not just for the first minute when everything hits, the shock hits the troops. You need it for the next 10 minutes, for the next 10 hours, for the next 10 years. You need strength. Every piece of this armor directly ties ties to the gospel. And so over and over again, you have got to bring the gospel and connect it to whatever your battle is, the battle of your heart, your, the battle with your circumstances, you have got to connect it to your heart. How? How, in this frustrating situation with your mom, how does faith interpret your frustration with your mom? Or you're battling with self-hatred, with self-loathing. How does salvation, how does this salvation inform your self-loathing? Or you've got chronic sickness, severe chronic sickness. How does Christ enter into that. And you think, well, this has gone on for a long time. I've lost a lot of these battles. And you feel weak. You find it hard to hold on to the gospel, to exercise your soul, to take up the faith, to get salvation, the gospel, into your head and into your heart as you're grappling with this. What is going to encourage you to keep doing this, to endure, to grasp the gospel again today, to hold on to it and you're tired and in your trembling hand. You need to see Jesus in the gospel. The admirable endurance of Jesus in the gospel. In the gospel, Jesus was tired. Jesus was shaky. He was physically shaky. And when Jesus was tired, when he was shaky, he took up not armor, he took up his cross. You remember how he did that on, on the, the longest mile march for him to where they would kill him over and over again and again? He took up his cross and he walked it out and he did it until he could not carry it another step, until he couldn't do it anymore and they had to compel someone else to carry it for him. Do you see anything noble, anything worthy of admiration in that Jesus grasped the cross, Jesus endured for you. Jesus took it up for you. And as surely as he did that, Christ is also holding on to you. When you are weary, Christ is holding on to you and he will not let you slip out of his hand. Will you hold on to him? Will you hold on to him? I, I, I recently had a, a meeting with some other elders, other pastors, and we were working together on something for, for our presbytery. The, the presbytery is just the collective of our different local congregations. And I'm, I'm generally always excited to get together with them. I look forward to, to being with them. I look forward to working together with them. And so I'm with these elders, I'm with these pastors, and we, we're discussing whatever it is that we're discussing, trying to figure out what, what will be a good step, or how do we help here, uh, what does the Bible say about this angle? How do, we, how do we put this into actions or statements? And who's willing to make this call? Who's willing to write this, this document? And so one person proposes something. Another person might have a, a, 
a better idea of how to do it. And these are usually committee meetings. They're committees. And all these interactions, all these social talks, it all unfolds. There's just a part in my head, though, as I'm meeting with these people, uh, I guess peers, uh, in my head, there's this other part that's happening at the same time, before, during, afterwards. And it's something like this. Did I say something stupid? What are people thinking about me? Do they think I'm a fool? Do they think I'm some kind of weirdo? And, and for me, I, get, I can get into this place. It's, maybe it's a partial place. Other times it gets bigger, smaller. I'm just self-preoccupied. I'm all wrapped up about myself. Do you know what I have to do with, with my self-preoccupation, my self-doubt? I have to grasp the gospel again. And I can say it this way. Jesus However stupid I may or may not be, it is by grace that you have brought me to your table. And however, however much these people admire me or exclude me, because of you, Jesus, I know that you adore me. God adores me, and I can settle in that, I can walk in that, and I can have deep peace. Brothers and sisters, grasp the gospel again. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you and we come as people we can do nothing except receive from you. That's how weak we are. That's how needy we are. And we come to you and we thank you that you're generous and gracious and that you embrace us. And so, Lord, we hold on to you through faith. We hold on to you and we thank you for holding on to us. Lord, if there are there people here where they need you to make that connection, would you by your spirit connect the lovely work of, completed work of Christ to whatever it is, wherever they are. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Now let's sing together. We're going to sing from the song supplement, page 58, There is a Hope. Let's stand and sing together.
Now may the, the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who called you is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen.